From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. I'm Shane Bigham with you on this Friday, June 30th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, more African products are finding their way to the Chinese market through the ongoing China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. Rwanda says it remains committed to a migration deal with Britain despite a UK court ruling. And UNESCO is turning to high technology to help protect world heritage sites around the globe. In business, China's economy grew at a slower pace in June. In sports, organizers are testing venues and systems for the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, Chinese art is luring visitors to European museums. Now a check of the day's top stories. This year's China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo has welcomed more made-in-Africa products into China. The event in Changsha aims to boost business links between the two sides. It's released the first-ever China-Africa Trade Index, indicating a 20-time expansion in trade volumes between the two sides over 22 years. Dai Kai has more from Hunan province. You can really find a vast array of products. For example, there are coffee from Rwanda and also pepper chilies from Rwanda, as well as wine from South Africa, as well as wood carvings from Zimbabwe, you name it, right? 1,500 exhibitors having signed up for the expo. That's up 70% from the previous expo. That expanded agenda, in a way, echoes what Chinese Vice President Han Zheng said at the opening ceremony, that China is ready to provide new opportunities to Africa through Chinese modernization and China's high-quality development. And he also said that China aims to deepen practical cooperation with Africa, achieving even more fruitful outcomes. And they will also strive to build an even closer China-Africa community with a shared future. The president from uh, the Republic of Malawi 
always said the partnership should result in quote unquote exponential growth, and that exponential growth is indeed, in a way,、uh, spoken by the latest China Africa Trade Index released. For the first time ever, it shows how back in the year of 2000 it starts at the basic reading of of 100, and now in 2022 it's now rocketed to 990. And that was Dai Kai in Changsha. Malawi's opened its consulate general in Changsha during the expo. President Lazarus Chekwera says the event is a good platform for Malawi to market its products. The Malawian president also congratulated China on 10 years of its Belt and Road Initiative and said he hopes his country will be able to share in the benefits. It means that the journey that got started,、uh, you know, is gaining momentum, and BRI, as far as Malawi is concerned, is again another platform that helps us. Build the infrastructure that's needed for us to really reach our、uh, goal. We want to be an inclusively wealthy, industrialized, self-reliant country, and BRI is like、uh, the kind of、uh, catalyst that gets us to achieve our goal. President Chekwera emphasized that it's important to trust, love, and respect each other, and there's more that binds people than separates them. Vocational training cooperation is one of the highlights of the third China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. In recent years, China and Africa have expanded their collaborative efforts by introducing a wide range of programs to offer more opportunities to people from both sides. Tianyu has more from Hunan Province. Diara Bubakar from Mali is the first foreign expat to gain a postdoctoral degree in traditional Chinese medicine. For over 20 years, he practiced medicine in Yunnan Province to cure leprosy for people living in remote regions. During his stay in Yunnan, he trained over 3,000 medical practitioners in the countryside. In 2019, guided by the Chinese and Malian governments, he helped launch the first Luban workshop in Mali to promote traditional Chinese medicine in his home country. He explains what kinds of benefits the workshop can bring to young people and the health industry in Africa. I think uh, this uh, could be an opportunity for young、uh, people to create new jobs. So when they learn these techniques, they can open their own.、Uh, Uh, small therapy uh, uh, clinics, and secondly, can help us to 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 fight against chronic disease. We have seen what Chinese medicine have done during the、uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And another good thing also, we can do a combination of the two medicines. He also says the Chinese and African governments should focus on more areas in their vocational training programs in the future. Apart of medicine, I think、uh, there are a lot of like、uh, engineering, machine engineering. I even think about, for example, uh, uh, in French we say cuisine,、uh, about food,、uh, cooking. Apart engineering, you can see also about solar energy. So there are a lot of lot of areas you can do. Linio Kobali from Lesotho has also been focusing on vocational training programs. She is enrolled in a technical and vocational education program at Beijing Normal University. Kobeli shares her insights on how these vocational programs can better serve the people in China and Africa. And then also, even curriculum design, I think it's one point. If we have a curriculum planning model, 
I will say trilateral partnership, you know, maybe China, Africa, and other international organization. Because sometimes if it's just China and Africa, you find that maybe it's not really holistic. It doesn't give a, a, a whole picture. But if there's an international, maybe like a trilateral partnership, first of all, it brings up opportunities uh, to explore um, and formulate a partnership and share knowledge uh, to promote best practices. And moreover, I think that it can also create more funding pool. Currently, a group of Chinese institutions are working with their African counterparts to set up vocational training centers in countries like Egypt, Uganda, and Burkina Faso. These centers have skilled professionals who provide training in areas such as computers, electrical engineering, and auto repair with the aim of helping the local people succeed in their respective industries. For the Beijing Hour, this is Tian Yu from Changsha, Hunan Province. And we'll bring you more from Changsha in this week's China Africa Talk podcast. A guest with knowledge on investment, development, and more from Rwanda, Nigeria, and Zambia share their insights on what the trade fair means to different regions in Africa and how countries are trying to make it easier for both sides to work together. We hope you'll join us this weekend. A Zimbabwean industry and commerce minister, Sakai Irene Nzenza, has hailed the long history of friendship between her country and China and said she hopes China will provide more support in the digital age. We have a lot of Chinese investments in Zimbabwe, uh, from mining to agriculture, manufacturing. And what we stand to benefit from China in the digital age is support uh, in bringing in innovation and technology for industry so that there's increased production but also human capacity building uh, providing skills uh, especially to our young people minister attended uh, the summer davos in china this week and she expressed her confidence in china and africa's roles in reviving the world economy and coming up rwanda says it remains committed to its migration deal with the uk Patriotism, simply put, is the feeling of love for or devotion to one's country. Isn't it an innate human sentiment? Why does it have to be promoted? As China molds its first patriotic education law, who's most likely to violate the law once it's in place? Find the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcast, and right here on CGTN Radio. And nine minutes past the hour. The Rwandan government says it remains fully committed to its migration deal with Britain. This comes after the UK Court of Appeal ruled a plan to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda as unlawful or is unlawful because the court thinks Rwanda is not a safe third country. The court decisions a major blow to UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's pledge to stop asylum seekers arriving in small boats. Sunak said the government will appeal. Yellow Abdafid has more from London. It is a, a seen as a central government policy by the Conservative government here in Britain, and it's seen as a setback for now, but the legal wrangling is unlikely to stop. But in terms of the, of the Court of Appeal and the decision after a short hearing, then asylum seekers and the charity that brought this challenge against the UK government, Asylum Aid, um, obviously are very pleased that the challenge to the Rwanda Asylum Plan, as it's called here, uh, has uh, stopped it for now. Uh, and I think that it's also indicative of the feelings towards this policy um, 
by many different groups and, and uh, organizations is, is, is sort of summarized by another charity, Freedom for Torture, who says that the government, as it calls it, the cash for humans deal with Rwanda is uh, deeply immoral and flies in the face of the laws of this country. Now, the idea, uh, the policy was to try and, and send them to a, a safe uh, country, according to the government, and then pay to send them back. But there is also the cost issue and the cost of dealing uh, with asylum seekers is $3.8 billion. There are several reasons why the UK government is very keen to pursue this policy. That was Yolo Abdafid explaining a UK court decision against sending asylum seekers to Rwanda. Demonstrators in and around the French capital are demanding justice for a 17-year-old boy who was fatally shot by police at a traffic stop. The victim's mothers led a peaceful march in Nanterre, a Paris suburb. France's beefed-up security across the country in anticipation of growing tensions between protesters and police. Ross Collin has more. All the bus routes in Paris were stopped. All the tram services came to an end, not just in the Paris uh, city centre, but in the wider French capital region as well. Other towns and cities in France also have brought in on Thursday uh, these transport restrictions to try to get a handle on the protests before they break out in earnest. The last hours have been marked by violent scenes against police stations, but also schools and town halls, and basically against institutions and the Republic. It's it's absolutely unjustifiable. 40,000 extra police officers are on standby on Thursday to react to any outbreaks of violence. 5,000 in the French capital and 35,000 around the rest of the country. We did see uh, these protests mostly confined to the Paris suburbs, but then on Wednesday night they uh, broadened out to other French cities like Toulouse, Marseille, Bordeaux. We've seen so many riots and arson attacks. Schools burned, city halls burned, uh, other public buildings targeted, buses and trams are subject to, to arson attacks, trash cans on fire, cars on fire, fireworks set off in city centres, hundreds of people arrested, dozens of police officers injured. That was Ross Colin reporting from Paris. Ukraine's held training exercises to prepare for a possible nuclear disaster. The training focused on the potential risk of radiation leakage from the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Deputy Energy Minister Yuri Vlasenko says they're preparing for the worst-case scenario. Dozens of people on the outskirts of Zaporizhia were taught how to respond swiftly in case the radiation level increases as a result of damage to the plant. During the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the facility's been hit several times and suffered several losses of external power that's needed to cool its six shutdown reactors. The head of the UN's nuclear watchdog has failed to agree with Russian and Ukrainian authorities on a deal to secure the plant. At a UN Security Council meeting, China's reiterated its call for peace instead of supplying weapons to Ukraine. Uh, Russia accused Western countries of not being interested in peace in Ukraine and instead of fighting a proxy war. Uh, Russia was the only member not to call for an end of the conflict. Jody Jacobs has more from New York. Thursday's UN Security Council meeting was called by Russia, the aim to discuss what it calls the influx of weapons into Ukraine by Western countries. Threats stemming from Western weapons being supplied to Ukraine are continuing to grow and multiply. As our ex-Western partners continue to make incessant attempts to shift all blame for what's going on in Ukraine onto Russia. 
But Western countries and the Council hit back, saying the conflict must end. Many say they will continue to stand with the people of Ukraine as they fight for a just and sustained peace as well as territorial integrity. Ukraine continues to need our support. For them, this is a war of survival. For Russia, it is a war of choice. China's deputy ambassador said what the world needs now is a ceasefire and not pumping of weapons into the battlefield. The United Nations has cautioned against the supply of weapons into any armed conflict situation as it raises significant concerns about a potential escalation of violence and diverting attention. I reiterate my call to states to join relevant treaties and agreements and to fully implement their legal obligations and political commitments under conventional arms control instruments to which they are party to minimize the risk of diversion of arms and ammunition. This is the sixth time such a meeting has been called by Russia since the start of its special military operation in Ukraine. There was another call for peace by the 14 members of the council. As the permanent representative of Gabon told the council, it's time diplomacy prevails over strength. That was Jody Jacobs at the United Nations. High school graduates across China are busy uh, selecting their majors and universities as the Gaokao season is coming to an end. As a result, the demand for career planning consultants is surging, and more and more parents and students are turning to these professionals for guidance in making important decisions about their future paths. Uh, Wang Zihang has more. In China, the college entrance exams for Gaokao are highly significant as they determine student eligibility for admission into a college or university. For many, the Gaokao also carries societal expectations and family pressure. As a crucial part of the process, selecting an ideal major and university after the exams means students can secure better career prospects. Wang Tui-Li says she is proud of her child's excellent Gaokao schools, and she wants to help her child select a fitting major. The Gaokao is a make-or-break exam for our children. It's like a turning point in their lives. When they achieve good scores, we want to get them into a reputable university. However, the application process and rules seem to change every year, and we are not sure about the implications of different policy updates. Wang turns to a career planning consultant, a new type of professional who offers expert advice and insight on academic and career choices. These consultants play a crucial role in helping families like Wang's understand the rules and regulations, providing guidance and support to make well-informed decisions regarding majors and universities. According to data from market research firm iMedia Group, nearly 90% of Chinese families are willing to invest in paid services for their college application process. In 2022, the market scale for Gaokao consulting services in China reached 880 million yuan and is estimated to reach 950 million this year. That's about 136 million US dollars. Shen Xiangfei manages a bustling career planning consultancy catering to around 600 students each day throughout the week. 
It's evident that parents have a strong demand for consulting services. Previously, they were concerned about their child's career development, like future professions. However, with more information available on majors and employment prospects, parents are increasingly anxious about future industry trends. As a result, more parents are actively seeking guidance right from the early stages of the Gaokao major selection process. Shen also says parents and students often have different opinions and preferences when making decisions, and the role of a career planning consultant is to provide fair and unbiased guidance to both sides. I understand the worries that parents have, especially when it comes to future job opportunities. And I also emphasize with the desires and interests of the students. In light of this, I would suggest that parents and students have open and calm discussions, taking into account the unique qualities of the child. I can provide suggestions from a neutral perspective. Apart from the consultants, the Chinese government and universities are making efforts to bridge the information gap between different academic disciplines and student understanding. For the first time ever, the Ministry of Education has made public 10 important answers to address student concerns, provide a clear answer to reduce uncertainties. Moreover, university officials from all over the country have been visiting different regions, engaging with students and parents to address their questions and offer suggestions. For the Beijing Hour, this is Wang Zihang. Coming up, UNESCO is using high technology to help preserve World Heritage Sites. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 20 minutes past the hour. Well, China's home to more than 50 UNESCO World Heritage Sites, including the Great Wall. A UNESCO meeting in eastern China is pushing for new technology to ensure these sites stand the test of time. Zhang Yibing reports from Huangshan. This year's Huangshan Dialogue highlights the role of remote sensing and other digital technologies in the preservation of world heritage sites, biosphere reserves, and geoparks under the United Nations Scientific and Cultural Agency, UNESCO. To help us in our efforts, we are using all the tools at our disposal including the best technologies at hand. This view is shared by all the participants at the event. We have increasingly realized their important role in identification, monitoring, evaluation, display and management of heritage sites. What is known as the next 50 years of the World Heritage Convention has begun for the protection of natural and cultural heritage. So all relevant sites are joining hands. We are ready within UNESCO programs with the World uh, Heritage Sites, more than 1,000 sites around the world. We're now going to undertake what is called the full use of information technology for the whole chain of heritage protection. Participants of the dialogue said they will look to the management of Huangshan as an example, as it is a place that is designated a UNESCO protected heritage site, Biosphere Reserve and Geopark. The dialogue encourages more heritage practitioners to improve the scientific and the technological innovation and to work to sustainably develop 
the heritage sites. That was Zheng Yibing reporting. UNESCO and the European Space Agency have an agreement to use Earth observation satellites to help safeguard hundreds of natural and cultural world heritage sites. China is also applying satellite technology in preserving these sites. UN Satellite Center Director Einar Bjorgo explains how it's helpful. Well, I think it's first, you know, you can go back in time, you can monitor the sites, you can see how they de developed over time, and you can also have uh, very much up-to-date information of the sites, uh, and also to see, uh, as I mentioned, in, in natural disasters, uh, uh, if they are affected or not. So I think uh, a lot has happened in this industry lately, and of course China is launching uh, many, many satellites that, uh, that we look forward to using. And um, yeah, so, so uh, at UNOSAT, we are really looking forward to see how we can further develop the collaboration with China. While there are challenges involving transmission, it also means there's room for cooperation. There are some challenges, of course. Uh, you know, how, how soon can you get your information? But that is also improving a lot these days. You know, before we took uh, uh, three weeks before we could get an image. Now we have it in, uh, within a day at least. So, so that is also something that is really improving, uh, making sure that we develop good partnerships, you know, that's also very important because, as you said, no one can do it alone. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, from our side, it's very, very important to, to be able to work in, in partnerships. Now as Director Einar Bjorgo of the UN Satellite Center on protecting heritage sites with satellites. Beijing's experienced the hottest June since meteorological records began in the Chinese capital. The city had 13 days with temperatures of over 35 degrees Celsius during the month. Uh, a new heat wave is hitting the capital city and is expected to last throughout the weekend. Many Chinese cities are also issuing high-temperature warnings, while some regions, including Chongqing and Jiangsu, have uh, seen heavy rainfall. Governments and global organizations have advised people to stay indoors and use air conditioning during high temperatures to prevent heat-related illnesses. However, this is all but impossible for migrant laborers and other workers who lack access to cooling technology. Chaurat Yongjuranon in Bangkok finds out how these workers are coping in Thailand. Cambodian migrant worker Ramo Mao has been working in Thailand as a builder for more than seven years now. He has worked a variety of jobs, from being a painter to being a mechanic. Ramo Mao accepts that his job means working outside in the hot sun. However, this year, the weather has been quite extreme. I used to work in Phuket. I faced the most heat as a welder because we had to work on top of roofs and there was no wind. I had to drink lots of water. Phuket was scorching hot. We had to take breaks when it became too hot. Ramo Mao's story is similar to the majority of the 2.74 million migrant workers working in Thailand who work at construction sites. Like him, many have minimal equipment to protect themselves against the sun. Many construction projects have taken measures to protect their workers. Construction supervisor Siti Pong says he makes sure workers get a one-hour break every four hours to drink water and rest in the shade so that they do not suffer from heat stroke. Ultimately, work must go on through the day to meet the deadlines. Hot weather cannot be avoided because this is the weather in Thailand. Construction work is labor-intensive, and the workers cannot avoid becoming tired. There are questions as to whether this is enough as temperatures peak throughout the day. In April, a so-called Asian monster heat wave hit countries across Asia, from Afghanistan to India, southern China, 
the Philippines, and Japan. So far, the Department of Meteorology of Thailand says Thailand has not been deeply impacted. According to the World Meteorological Department, a heat wave occurs when the temperature is higher than the highest recorded temperature by an average of 5 Celsius for five consecutive days. This has not happened to Thailand yet. Thailand has not been impacted by the Asian monster heat wave because of its good geographical position. Wind from the sea surrounding Thailand has lower temperatures, and the country has had rain from high pressure from China. However, with less rain expected this year, the people are at risk of suffering from heat strokes. Should the weather get worse in the future, technology may be used to monitor the weather at construction sites, making sure workers get out of the sun when temperatures peak. That was Chao Rat Yongjiranon with the report on measures to protect outdoor workers in Thailand. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is warning about air quality as smoke from Canada's wildfires moves over the state. Air quality is unhealthy in every corner of the state of New York. Wildfires from more than 500 miles away continue to burn, and we're feeling the impact right here in real time in our city and our state. Uh, just to help with the fires, we deployed our third crew yesterday to be part of a northeastern unit comprised of other individuals from Maine and New Hampshire. But the truth is there is no end in sight. Hoko cautioned New Yorkers to stay alert and continue checking uh, their air quality numbers before making plans to head outdoors during the weekend. She also says state agencies are monitoring the numbers. They'll also send out phone alerts as part of the efforts to protect people. A team of Italian researchers has reached the edge of space flying aboard Virgin Galactic's rocket-powered uh, plane. Uh, Walter Villaday with the Italian Air Force sees commercial flight as an opportunity for more researchers to access space and to foster the development of new technologies. Virgin Galactic will be flying the first of hundreds of ticket holders who've been waiting years for their chance to experience a, a few minutes of weightlessness, but Thursday's flight was uh, a research mission. We're at 28 past the hour in Beijing's at 25 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny and 38 on Saturday. Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then moderate rainfall and 36 degrees. Last is down to 12 overnight, then cloudy and 26. Hong Kong has 28 degrees this evening. It'll see showers and 32 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 overnight, a slight rain and 27 on Saturday. Islamabad will see a slight rainfall and 24 in the overnight hours, then a slight rain and 35. Bangkok's at 27 this evening, then rainfall and 35 degrees. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, more African products are finding their way to the Chinese market through the ongoing China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. Rwanda says it remains committed to a migration deal with Britain despite a UK court ruling. UNESCO is turning to high technology to help protect world heritage sites around the globe. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on a Friday. Still to come, in business, China's economy grew at a slower pace in June. In sports, organizers are testing venues and systems for the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, Chinese art is luring visitors to European museums. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn.
Uh, first of all, a check of the day's headlines, and uh, the China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo has emerged as a major platform for promoting trade. It brings more made-in-Africa products into the Chinese market. The four-day event brings 1,500 exhibitors into the central Chinese city of Changsha. A myriad of African products are on display from red wine and coffee to handicrafts. Uh, customs data shows that China's become the second largest destination for African agricultural exports. Uh, Siobonga Kweli is the South African ambassador to China. This one is different because now a lot of uh, leaders from uh, African continent, a lot of exhibitors from the African continent, a lot of them from my own country, South Africa, they are present here. And uh, they are very happy because they are having the face-to-face -face exchange with the potential buyers. And uh, they are also looking at the Chinese products, quality products that they can import them to South Africa. We're seeing greater increase, a 12% increase in agricultural trade between Africa and uh, China. Uh, the expo also includes a series of activities such as high-level forums and uh, business matchmaking events. The mother of the 17-year-old boy shot dead by French police has led a tribute march in memory of her son in the Paris suburb of Nanterre. The teenager's mother, identified as uh, Munia, shed tears and chanted along with thousands of supporters and neighbors demanding justice for the slain 17-year-old. Uh, Young Nahel's honor was saved thanks to the cameras. If the cameras were not there, one could have played with his profile, suggesting he's already had trouble with the police before. His past is a bit sketchy. No, this is a 17-year-old young man who was killed by police. That should be recognized. He was a young boy. He was very kind. He was not evil. He was not a thug. What the media is saying about him is not true. His mom raised him well. The teenager was shot during a traffic stop early this week. The local prosecutor said the officer who's alleged to have shot and killed the teen is under formal investigation for voluntary homicide. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says the government will appeal to the UK's top court after the plan to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda was deemed unlawful. On Thursday, the Court of Appeal concluded uh, by a majority of two to one that Rwanda could not be treated as a safe third country. Under the deal struck last year, Britain planned to send tens of thousands of asylum seekers who arrive on its shores to the East African country. The government urges, or rather argues, the 177 million US dollar plan would smash the business model of human traffickers. However, critics have denounced the policy as inhumane and say that it'll not work. European Union leaders have declared their long-term commitments to bolster Ukraine's security following a summit in Brussels. EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell has suggested building on the existing European peace facility. But neutral member states have raised concerns. Ukraine's argued that the best way to assure its own security and that of Europe is for it to join NATO. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says the bloc will discuss Ukraine's aspirations to join the alliance after its summit next month. Some UNESCO member states have voiced concerns over the approval of the U.S. return to the U.N. Cultural Agency after it pulled out abruptly in October of 2017. The U.S. has withdrawn from the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization on two occasions. The repetitive withdrawals have caused concerns among many countries who want assurances the U.S. will not do it again. Omar Adala is with the Palestinian Foreign Ministry.
This is not the first time. Yes, there is a systematic attempt by the American administration, especially the Trump time, when they were first, they are withdrawn from the Human Rights Council, they withdrew from UNESCO, and that's also something is worrying for us. And we want assurances that once we start all this process, asking the U.S. to come back, not to take that step and to withdraw from UNESCO once again, that will affect the noble cause of UNESCO, and that's unacceptable. The United States owes UNESCO over $600 million in fees, while also owing the World Heritage Fund nearly $8 million. South Koreans have become younger by one or two years under new laws to count ages. Under the previous system, uh, age system most commonly used in the country, people were deemed to be uh, a year old at birth. A year is then added every New Year's Day. And that meant that a person born on, say, New Year's Eve would turn two the next day. Uh, the law, new law requires uh, using the international age system adopted by most countries. That's your headline news update, and this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's economic growth slowed in June. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour. Turning to business now. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Shanghai Composite Index advanced by six tenths of one percent. The Shenzhen Component Index climbed by one percent. Sentiment, though, continues to be fairly weak. You need only look at the low trading volumes to see that a lot of investors are sitting on the sidelines and waiting for clues to uh, government policy action. In Shanghai, the gains were most evident in large cap stocks, the big banks and energy companies. Agricultural Bank of China, Bank of China, and ICBC all rose. Uh, Sinopec and uh, China Shenhua Energy are uh, also there among the uh, top ten contributors to gains. So far, the uh, Shanghai Composite is still clinging to the gains that it made in the first quarter, when uh, the economic recovery was at its quickest. But uh, in Q2, we saw the index slip uh, by two and three quarter percent. Still, investment bank UBS said this week uh, that the uh, this quarter uh, will likely have been the low point uh, for the markets this year. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was a little bit below flat. In Japan, the Nikkei also. Also dipped a little. China's economy continued to expand in June, albeit at a slower pace. Data from the National Statistics Bureau shows uh, the Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI for manufacturing, rose to 49 in June from 48.8 in May. In the meantime, the index measuring non-manufacturing sectors dropped to 53.2 in June, down from 54.5 in May. A composite PMI, which gauges overall economic performance, fell to 52.3 from 52.9 in May. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the signing of the mainland and Hong Kong Closer Economic Partnership Agreement. Uh, over the past two decades, SIPA has become a driving force for economic and trade exchanges, as well as sustained economic growth. And Xu Hua has more from Shenzhen. Here 
at Shenzhen's Huanggang port, a cargo load of thermal insulation strips made in Hong Kong has been cleared for transport to a factory in the city of Foshan. These goods are exempted from tariffs under the mainland and Hong Kong Closer Economic Partnership Agreement. Director Zheng, who's in charge of inspection today, recalls the moment in January 2004 when he inspected the first batch of goods imported from Hong Kong under the CEPA agreement. He said the number of products imported in the two decades since has grown exponentially. Since the signing of the CEPA on June 29, 2003, I have witnessed the significant benefits enjoyed by Made in Hong Kong products with a range of goods expanded from 374 types in 2004 to 8,858 in 2022, representing a 23-fold increase. The CEPA is the first free trade agreement concluded by the Chinese mainland and Hong Kong. For the special administrative region, CEPA provides a window of opportunities for businesses to gain greater access to the mainland market. The CEPA enables our company to sell goods made in Hong Kong to various provinces and cities on the Chinese mainland with zero tariffs. Over the past decade, the CEPA has saved us hundreds of millions of yuan in tax at least. CEPA has enabled Hong Kong to serve as a perfect springboard for mainland enterprises to expand onto the global market, accelerating the mainland's international economic integration. In recent years, our company has imported around 430 million yuan of goods under the CEPA and has enjoyed tariff reductions of more than 40 million yuan. Hong Kong's traditionally strong industries such as plastics, pharmaceuticals and food are said to have benefited the most from the introduction of CEPA. That was Shuhart reporting. Argentina's central bank said it's allowed banks to open accounts in the Chinese currency. The move will inspire the yuan's wider adoption in the country's foreign trade as well as that in local financial markets. Argentina's National Securities Commission said it's greened issuance of yuan-settled securities. The commission said Argentina's central bank has been promoting yuan spot and futures trade since 2020 to ease an acute shortage of dollar reserves and safeguard the country's financial stability. The 19th Western China International Fair is opened in Sichuan province. Over 500 high-tech products are on display in Chengdu, with exhibits presenting important achievements from the development of China's western region. The event will hold more than 30 investment promotion activities and launch nearly 4,000 investment cooperation projects. Zheng Songwu has more. New era of China, new journey for Western China. That's the theme for this year's Western China International Fair, held in person for the first time since the emergency of COVID-19. More than 3,500 domestic and foreign enterprises are taking part this year, spanning 17 national pavilions, including one from Belarus and another from Iceland. The fair began with an address given by Vice Premier of the State Council, He Lifeng. Since it launched in the early 21st century, the Western China International Fair has been a bridge between Western China and the world. With all your hard work, the opening up and development of Western China and its cooperation with the world will have a better future. Now, I declare the 19th Western China International Fair open. The fair covers an area of over 200,000 meters, 
with six pavilions dedicated to the different themes, ranging from Belt and Road Cooperative to the further development of the Western Region. Fifty various activities will be organized at the fair, and more than 3,900 investment projects will also be introduced in Western China. The fair will further promote the building of the Belt and Road Initiative, the development of the Western Region, as well as the construction of the Chengdu-Chongqing Economic Circle. Iceland's ambassador to China says the Western China International Fair provides an important platform for many products from Iceland. Well, it's an important market area for many of our products. We are not a we are not a big country, but we have a number of important products that we we are selling in China, and they have been coming here since 2011. So,、uh, if they have been coming here for every exhibit since 2011, that tells you that they they find some benefit. A growing number of enterprises have found new opportunities at the fair. Which is seen as an important window for China's opening up, and the event provides a good opportunity for Western China to participate in building the Belt and the Road Initiative, as well as deepening international cooperation and exchanges. That was Zhang Songwu reporting. The International Monetary Fund says it's reached a staff-level agreement with Pakistan to release three billion U.S. dollars in bailout funds. Daniel Khan has more from Islamabad. The International Monetary Fund has announced that it has reached a staff-level agreement with Pakistan for a three billion dollars standby agreement, a decision that has been eagerly awaited by Pakistan as it was wobbling on the brink of a default. The agreement, which is still subject to approval by the IMF board in July, brings some much-needed relief to Pakistan, which is currently grappling with a severe balance of payment crisis and a decline in foreign exchange reserves. The three billion dollars funding. To、uh, be dispersed over a period of nine months is higher than initially anticipated、uh, for Pakistan. The country had been eagerly waiting the release of the remaining 2.5 billion dollars for a 6.5 billion dollars bailout package that was agreed upon in 2019 and expired on Friday. Pakistan's economy has faced numerous、uh, challenges in recent times, including devastating floods last year and、uh, commodity price hikes following the conflict in.、Uh, Ukraine, despite、uh, government's efforts、uh, to reduce imports and address the trade deficit, reserves have declined to critically low levels. Now, liquidity conditions in the power sector also remain、uh, challenging. Experts here say the new agreement would serve as a policy anchor and a framework for financial support for both multilateral and bilateral partners in the coming period. That was Daniel Kahn reporting. Well, a section of a Chinese-built bypass is open to traffic in the Serbian capital. President Aleksandar Vučić says the road will ease traffic pressure that's been plaguing Belgrade since the early 1970s. Now, 30 years later, our dream has come true. From now on, there will be no transit trucks entering the downtown area of Belgrade and causing congestion on city roads. From now on, you can travel around Belgrade quickly and safely. Serbia's development has benefited from China's friendly support. Of the newly opened sections, the last part of a more than 20-kilometer road. It includes 22 bridges, four tunnels, and two large overpasses located in the southern suburbs of the city. The new sections expected to ease the traffic pressure in the city center, facilitating travel and promoting employment. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, organizers are testing venues and systems for the Hangzhou Asian Games. 
Carlos Alcaraz has guaranteed that he will be the top seed at Wimbledon next week. Will he be able to stop Novak Djokovic's title defense? Who can come out as the biggest surprise from the Chinese contingent at Grass Court's Grand Slam? Tune in to this week's Sideline Story podcast. We bring you all things sports-related. 47 past the hour in sports. Organizers are staging test events at venues in Hangzhou in the build-up to the 19th Asian Games. Those get underway in less than 90 days. China's para-athletes had the first test in the pool with the National Disabled Swimming Championship held at the Hangzhou Olympic Sports Swimming Center. Uh, organizers have held over 20 test events since May, including three-on-three basketball, weightlifting, dragon boat racing, and esports. Uh, games press official Xu Deqing says the test events will help find loopholes in preparations. While we move all of the equipment and hardware into the venues, we will conduct all-round full-power tests and adjustments involving all sectors, including all kinds of conditions and all operations stuff, thus giving us a true rehearsal with all of our equipment and hardware, as well as our venue operations team. The Asian Games starts on uh, September 23rd, with uh, events also hosted in neighboring cities like Ningbo and Jinhua. In the NBA reports say Philadelphia 76ers superstar James Harden is picking up his $35.6 million option for the 2023-24 season and will work with the team on finding a trade. The Los Angeles Clippers, New York Knicks, and Phoenix Suns are expected to be suitors. Harden averaged 21 points and 10.7 assists for the Sixers over the past season. Manchester United has agreed to sign midfielder Mason Mount from Chelsea for £55 million. Mount will sign a five-year contract with the option for a further 12 months. United could also have to pay a further £5 million based on meeting certain targets. Mount's been one of United manager Eric Ten Hag's top targets this offseason. Caroline Wozniacki is set to make a tennis comeback. The former world number one says that she's ready to return to the tour, having retired from the sport in 2020. Wozniacki spent 71 weeks at the top of the world rankings and finished with 30 singles titles, including a Grand Slam crown at the Australian Open in 2018. She announced her retirement at the age of 29, saying that she wanted to start a family with her husband, former NBA player David Lee. Wozniacki says this will says she'll first play at the Canadian Open in Montreal in August before targeting the U.S. Open. A Chinese player Zhang Zhejian's Eastbourne International campaign ended in the quarterfinals. Zhang suffered a quick defeat to fourth seed Francisco Cerundulo 6-2-6-3, but reaching the last eight was still his best tour-level performance on any grass court event. Cerundulo next faces Mackenzie McDonald. Meantime, second seed Tommy Paul edged compatriot J.J. Wolf in three sets to reach the semis. The American will next face Gregoire Barrer, who stunned Miomir Kachmanovic. Novak Djokovic warmed up for Wimbledon with an exhibition match against Francis Tiafo in London. He beat Tiafo in three sets and revealed that he was lucky enough to have a pre-tournament hitout on Wimbledon Centre Court earlier in the day. The defending champion foregoes playing in any grass court warm-up events.
Max Verstappen can uh, accelerate further into Formula One history with a victory at the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. Victory in his, or on his Red Bull team's home track can take Verstappen to 42 wins. That's one more than the late Ayrton Senna and alone in fifth place all-time for most GP wins. Brandon Yates has a preview. The 2023 Formula One Austrian Grand Prix will be the second sprint weekend of the season and this time around it will be at Max Verstappen's favourite hunting ground. The Red Bull ring has been home to some fantastic races over the past few years, with the Austrian team winning a fair share of them as well. Even though the runaway championship favourite is not a huge fan of the sprint format, he will be aiming to build on the momentum of the last four races. I think Aston Martin are looking like the only serious challenges for Red Bull going into this race but I do think we will see another dominant Verstappen and Red Bull performance. That was Brandon Yates on the Formula One race this weekend. Mark Cavendish is looking to set a new uh, record for Tour de France stage wins during his 14th and final tour. He needs just one stage win to notch 35 overall and take the all-time record at the race from Eddie Merckx, who set it back in 1975. Cavendish says there's uh, no time to enjoy his final tour appearance as he has a target to hit. I thought about it and actually, really unfortunately, no, because I, I still have to try and do a job, you know. And I know I regret that, not living in the moment of, of enjoying the things. Like this race gives me the most incredible of emotions. Unfortunately, you can't really analyze them and, and appreciate them till afterwards. It's the same every year. And I know this is my last one, but it's, it's still the same. I have a job to do and uh, I'm kind of devoid you of those little bits of, of sentiment at the time, but you can definitely appreciate them later. Cavendish's only stage run of the season so far came on the final day of the Euro d'Italia in Rome. Uh, the Tour de France gets underway on Saturday. In boxing, Chinese WBO uh, interim champion, uh, interim heavyweight champion Zhang Zhirley will again fight British boxer Joe Joyce in London in September. Zhang defeated Joyce with a six-round technical knockout in London in April, snatching the WBO interim title. Joyce, undefeated before the fight, is activated a rematch clause aiming to reclaim that title. The rematch will be at the Wembley Arena on September 23rd. In the Chinese Super League, visiting Shanghai Port upset Beijing Guoan 2-1 at the Workers' Stadium, further solidifying its leading position in the standings. Liu Wenjun broke the deadlock before the halftime whistle, scoring on a loose ball in the penalty area. Shanghai extended the lead in the second half with a spectacular long-range strike. Feng Hao scored the consolation for Guoan in stoppage time, which was his first goal since joining the capital team this season. Shanghai Port is now four points ahead of city rival Shenhua at the top of the table. This is the Beijing Hour, and coming up in culture, Chinese art is luring visitors to European museums. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 minutes past the hour now. In culture and entertainment, China and France are expanding cooperation in the cultural sector. France's Palace of Versailles and China's Forbidden City are teaming up for an exhibition in 2024, showcasing their historic ties. Natalie Malgas spoke with Asian art expert Pierre Insas on how Europeans perceive Chinese art. Europe has long been captivated by Asian art. 
for centuries. Antique porcelains, fine tapestry and paintings by renowned Chinese artists have piqued the interests of connoisseurs and fetched a good price. Europe's interest in collections from China came from the Great Voyages, with Marco Polo, for example. Till the 1920s, 1930s, we were still very attracted and bought a lot of Chinese art. After World War II, there were still up to at least 80 Asian and especially Chinese art dealers here in Paris. And the market for Chinese art and antiques is growing again since the end of the pandemic to around $7.4 billion in global sales. The craze for Chinese art will not disappear. What will disappear in France is the objects. Every year, art objects leave France, bought by Chinese people. In a few years, there won't be much Chinese art left in France. The remaining objects will mainly be in museums. French families will certainly sell theirs. The market will shift. It will be a Chinese-to-Chinese Chinese market rather than anything else. The future for Chinese art is infinite. For some museum goers, Chinese art is the main attraction. Asia is a distant continent, a place that makes you dream a little with its culture. It's very refined, very elegant, as we can see in the paintings, in calligraphy, and in a lot of art in general from Asia, and especially from China. To celebrate the centuries-old relationship between China and France, the iconic Palace of Versailles will host an elaborate exhibition from April next year. Chinese art is expected to feature heavily at that event. That was Natalie Malgas in Paris. Nobel Prize-winning writer Moi Yan has crossed another milestone in his career with the publication of his latest drama, Crocodile. It tells the story of a man and a crocodile he received as a gift for his birthday. He keeps replacing the fish tank over the next 10 years, giving the reptile more space to grow until it becomes a four-meter-long behemoth. Moi says the crocodile is a symbol of human desire and the complexity of human nature. Henry Cavill's made an unexpected appearance at the premiere of The Witcher Season 3 in London, despite announcing his departure from the hit fantasy Netflix series. I won't abandon Siri. Cavill announced last October that he'll step down from the role of traveling monster hunter Geralt of Rivia. He's due to be replaced by Australian actor Liam Hemsworth, who will appear in the show's fourth season. Freya Allen, playing Princess Ciri, says that uh, she'll miss Cavill in the series. It was, it was shocking and I felt sort of like I cried and I felt kind of like I was mourning it through the character because he has been the adoptive father for Ciri, so yeah, it was, it was sad. Fans still have a whole season to enjoy with Cavill at the helm. Uh, volume 1 of Season 3 dropped on Thursday. Volume 2 arrives on July 27th. We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Checking the uh, forecast before we head into the weekend. And Beijing's at 25 degrees overnight. Tomorrow, sunny in 38. Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then moderate rainfall in 36. Lass is down to 12 degrees, then clouds in 26. Hong Kong's 28 overnight. It'll see showers in 32 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 24 this evening, a slight rain in 27 on Saturday. Islamabad will see some rain in 24 this evening, more rain tomorrow in 35. Bangkok's at 27 tonight, then rainfall in 35 on Saturday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rain in 21 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, tomorrow overcast in 19. Auckland's down to 9 overnight, then a slight rain in 14. 
That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, more African products are finding their way into the Chinese market through the ongoing China-Africa Economic and Trade Expo. And UNESCO is turning to high technology to help protect World Heritage Sites globally. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.